Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Narcissist Podcast. I'm your host, the Mindful Narcissist, and we did actually just record for about half an hour, and then I realized that the recording had stopped at some point. So the first time around, I came into this and I realized that I didn't know your name. I now know your name. So this is a guest episode. Hi, Bip. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Bip Henderson, author of Norse to the Future. And so this was our first time officially meeting. Uh, coming into this now recording, I do know you a bit better, <laughs> so <laughs> that'll change the dynamic a bit. So yes, you've got a book, Norse to the Future. I've not read it yet, but uh, having read the synopsis and the inspirations for the book, one of them listed is uh, Flann O'Brien. I love Flann O'Brien, and I love like that, I guess that that type of like more absurdist Irish humor, which I feel like nobody does quite like... Like, I don't know, there's just something about Ireland that I think lends itself to creating weird, absurdist humor. There's something about Flann O'Brien. I love Flann O'Brien. And sadly, I speak with more Americans about Flann O'Brien than Irish people. Like, Irish, a lot of Irish people have never read him. And it's so sad because, you know, he died, in I think, in the 60s. He was writing in the 40s. And he's just genius. Like, he's so, he was so ahead of everything, you know. I love him. He's he's my favorite author, you know. What is he wrote? I think four or five novels. But do you know his whole story? No, I don't actually. What is yeah. his story? <laughs> his story is like he had a bunch of siblings he had to support. So he was working full time in um, the Irish Independent, I believe. Flann O'Brien was just one of his names he wrote under. He also wrote an Irish Miles Nagopoline was his character. They don't even know how many different characters he had because he he worked at the paper. And uh, now they know that he used to write letters in as like (laughs) random people complaining or whatever. But, you know, but it was him. So he had all these. He was really genius, like satire, postmodern or post postmodern, I think they call him. Yeah. And, And nonsensical at times. Yeah. Well, that information fits very well in with the image of him that I'd created. So everybody needs to go read Flan O'Brien. Yeah, he's genius. And at least he's getting more respect now, it seems like, mm-hmm. uh, especially in America, but then here too, you know. What is like the Irish writing scene like right now? I don't know. I usually only read dead people. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I read a lot of contemporary Irish women writers and they're all really good but they're also all just really sad truly traumatizing novels but again so very very good yeah well I think why I love uh like say Flann O'Brien and uh, the the old the traditional Irish humor you know it was based in tons of sadness but they use Mm -hmm. Humor is a way to escape the sadness, you know? Joyce is probably Ireland's biggest author, but I'm not a fan of Joyce. And it's funny because he was a huge influence on Flann O'Brien. Like, Flann O'Brien's favorite author was Joyce. But Joyce was, like, very miserable, really, you know? I think the the greatness about Irish humor was, like, they had to overcome a lot. And they were still managed to find humor in it. It's very easy to be miserable about Irish history, But it's, you know, you have to be kind of a special kind of uh, genius to be funny about the miserable Irish history, you know. 
So you uh, yourself are not Irish, based in Galway, but from Northern California, which is a fun bonding point that I didn't know until <laughs> until we got on here. Do you want to say how, how you ended up in Ireland, your connection there? Yeah, well, I'm originally from, I was raised in Marin, outside San Francisco, but uh, I came to Ireland because I used to play a lot of Irish music when I was younger. I used to play a lot of, like, folk, sang folk songs, sang Irish ballads. So I originally came to Galway because Galway's like the mecca for Irish music. I, I don't play that anymore, but I I do still do music, mostly like synth and virtual synth tracks now. Mm-hmm. The complete opposite <laughs> of folk. I'm always surprised by like how many Americans I meet that like did Irish dance or Irish folk music or something like that, like while they were in the States, because I... Like that just was not even on my radar in Fresno, at least. But I guess there were like there were there weren't really any Irish people in Fresno. I suppose there'd be more of a presence around the Bay Area and like moving up. I used to play in a lot of Irish pubs in San Francisco. Like there's a huge Irish population in there. And um, as far as Irish music is concerned, I was interested in the ballads anyways. Like I've always been interested in the lyrics more than the music. I'm not a big fan of like just the instrumental Irish music. I prefer the ballads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first exposure to... Well, I guess when I was in high school, I went to a weird high school where I got to take like an Irish language course. And a lot of that was focused on the music. So that was my first exposure to like anything about Irish culture. I was really intrigued, like, and I guess the uses of the songs as well. Because we learned a lot of the ones where... You know, it was a song created to keep the beat as they were doing laundry. I can't actually remember the task. It was a different task than laundry. But, you know, just um, <laughs> and the, the function of a lot of the folk music, I think, fascinated me. Because I'd never thought of music as having like a day-to-day function other than just like a piece of art, you know? Yeah, I never thought of that either. But also there's the function, like the obvious function of telling stories of a ballad. Like that is a very real function of, you know, songs being used to carry on oral histories. Oh, definitely. And Ireland had a lot of that because, you know, when under British rule, they used to put a lot of history into songs, you know, because at various times it could get you arrested if you had writing Irish history about something that atrocious that the English authorities did. Mm-hmm. So you put it in a song instead, you know? Yeah. And so your path, songwriting to screenwriting. Screen, screenwriting? Screenplay? Screenwriting, yeah. In 2017, I started making short films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started screenwriting as well. I'd read some books on screenwriting and then I was like looking at how much screenwriters made and I'm like, oh wow, this is a great career path. I'm going to be a screenwriter. <laughs> and then in reality is it's very, very hard to get your foot in the door um, in the screenwriting business because they usually only buy scripts off of established writers that they can rely upon. And there's so many people, especially now, that are just writing screenplays. So if you're good or bad, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to read it. Because statistically, you're going to be bad. So it's easy, <laughs> you know, it's easier for the producer 
to just buy the script off the uh, established writer. Right. So did you like produce any of your own scripts then? Yes. Uh, and that, I think that's important if you're a writer to actually make your stuff because if you have other people making your stuff, chances are they're not going to get the writing as good as you want it to be. For filmmaking, there's so much going on. The screenplay is only one aspect. If you're trying to stand out as a writer and they then they take away half your script, <laughs> it's, it's not going to reflect good on you. So if you have a good script and you, you know you have a good script, I recommend you make your short or whatever yourself. I've always had a good imagination. I remember when I was like five, I used to like to draw posters for movies that didn't exist so I always had like this the idea for movies and then I just draw a poster of the movie you know but I had that idea in my head <laughs> when I was five I used to do that I'm a millennial so I hit the last film renaissance of the 90s mm. and I don't know if it's ever going to be that good again I don't think so it seems like <laughs> stuff's going more towards like online content which is quantity over quality yeah like it's just mindless consumption of a lot of not really great stuff yeah or, or even great stuff it's just oh. a lot of consumption there's great yeah. stuff but then you forget about it because you watch so much other crap <laughs> yeah and then like i figured that has to play into like the art that i'm creating as well because you know what what goes in comes out in some form for me as a film buff like it is a great time because there's so much access to any movie you could want you know like whereas I, when I was a kid you'd have to go rent stuff and then it was like whatever the store had for you to rent is what you got to watch or, or you could watch the terrible edited versions on American television <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah see I'm like I'm the very tail end of being a millennial so my youngest childhood memories are still like going to Blockbuster. And I think I'm just getting really nostalgic for that. Like I actually, I want to be limited by what Blockbuster has. I want to only be able to see what they have on VHS. Did they have Bradley video down there or no? I don't think so. I've never heard of that. Okay. That's more like, I think North Bay. That's where I used to go. I loved it. It was great. Bradley Video, they had the off-the-wall section. So they had all these crazy movies, and they put them there. Like, everything from, like, trauma movies to, uh, like, Coen Brothers' early stuff. You know, it was, it was great. The Scream, the original Scream movie was filmed in a Bradley Video. Oh. Yeah. I think the Santa Rosa one. Huh. I just remember... <laughs> I was the age where all I was wanting to get was like the Mary Kate and Ashley movies. So that is, okay. <laughs> that's what I remember our blockbuster having a lot of. Do you still read a lot when you're writing? Oh, actually it is very helpful. No, I like to read every day. and It helps my writing. I find if I am reading while I'm writing, mm -hmm. I read everything. Most of the writers I like are dead. Uh, I do read some Stephen King occasionally and, uh, like David Sedaris, I like his humor. Oh, yes. um, but then a lot of dead people, <laughs> like Flan <laughs> O'Brien and uh, like, you know, Confederacy of Dunces is probably my favorite book, John Kennedy Tools book. So Charles Bukowski, I love him. He's Fres, or no, he's LA. 
Yeah. Steinbeck was Fresno, was he? Steinbeck was, I think he was in Fresno for a while, but they've got a lot of like Steinbeck monument stuff in Monterey. So I feel like he spent oh, yeah. a lot of time in Monterey. Cannery Row. Yeah, Cannery Row. Exactly. See, those kinds of authors, I just purchased a copy of Confederacy of Dunces because it was required high school reading at some point. Therefore, I read it and did not enjoy it or take it in at all. But I I do think based on other things I enjoy, I would have actually enjoyed it a lot. So that is back on my bookshelf to be read. Oh, it's a great book. It's a, just a genius comedical uh, character study. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think it's my favorite book. Like Flann O'Brien's my favorite author, but I don't think any of his books are as well written as Confederacy Dunces. That's a that's a good recommendation for me to know that I'm I'm probably right that I would I would enjoy it. I should read it again. <laughs> Did you read any of Charles Bukowski's stuff? I have actively avoided Charles Bukowski because the only people that have recommended it to me prior to now were um really whiny art school boys and so i assumed it was bad (laughs) oh no i love him when i was younger i loved john steinbeck and i've read like all his stuff you know Mm -hmm. and he's from this time period and he's like this really uh schmaltzy view of the this glorious beautiful past that's not there anymore and then charles bukowski grew up in la but i think it's about maybe 10 years younger but it's nearly the same time period and it's nearly the same place like not too far away uh, yeah. and he's just real talking about pimples and coming and things like that and he's <laughs> so it's funny because if you've read so much John Steinbeck first it's like you know reading I don't know what even to compare it to the bible or something like they're cutting out all the <laughs> He cuts out all the good stuff and he has like this very romantic bullshit view of the past, you know. Uh, and then Charles Bukowski's lived lived there and he's talking about living through it, you know. And it seems just so much more real than John Steinbeck. And it's like for me now, it's hard to read John Steinbeck after reading him because it's like, no, you know, people had problems back then too. Stop lying. Stop, <laughs> stop censoring yourself. <laughs> I love reading these books that are kind of just raw and real from a time period that they didn't have a lot of books that were being written that were being raw and real, you know? Mm -hmm. It is nice to have like kind of that shift of perspective. I was saying I read a lot of contemporary like Irish women writers and I also read a lot of contemporary Irish more personal essay writers. So I think if I were to write, I would probably lean more towards the personal essay style because I don't think I have a particularly great imagination for an artist I think I have a very analytical like scientific mind like when I talk to some of my other like visual artist friends I'm like what how does your brain work like that I can't even even just like you know painters coming up with a scene I'm like I can't create a scene in my head so when I read fiction I'm like how do people come up with words and conversations that weren't actually had or like build characters and you mentioned a little bit ago like character studies how do you build a character i don't know i think it's just like either aspects that are like from your own life or something that you might be interested in or Mm -hmm. even like something you loathe 
like for my book Norse to the Future, the main the four main characters, Timothy, Greta, Sven and Jerry, they all would have different traits that I have, you know. <laughs> right. And then maybe some traits that I have seen other people have. I don't know. It's or you could just like I said, I'm very creative. I was had a very active imagination. Yeah. So I don't know where they come from. I suppose to be good at that kind of thing, you have to have pretty decent skills of observation. It depends. Like you can observe certain things. You don't have to observe everything. Yeah. But uh, just whatever you're interested in writing in. I don't know. Do I write what I'm interested in observing or do I observe what I'm interested in writing? I don't know. Oh, there's the question. I think research in all for all kinds of art, it's like, I think it's interesting what things can become research. Because I think just like, you know, I'm a, I'm a full-time nanny right now. And I feel like that is very much research for my practice at the moment. Just like the structure of my days, observing the boys. So like, what do you, what do you consider research for your writing? Well, I can't speak about the past, but um, I have a novel I want to write that takes place in San Francisco. I have a screenplay finished for it already, so I know what the story is. But to write the details, like I really think I need to go back to San Francisco and just listening to the sounds, smelling the smells. I know, to me, San Francisco smells like... uh, fresh damp fog and eucalyptus and like somebody smoking a cigarette somewhere 50 feet away or something like that perpetually (laughs) that's what San Francisco smells like but I need to go back and live in there and just get that re-immerse myself in that smell and the sights and things like that Mm -hmm. so for research like I just want to go live there you know walk through Chinatown walk through North Beach walk through Fisherman's Wharf, walk through the marina, looking at the buildings, looking, seeing if there's any interesting things happen, you know, looking at the animals that are there, the birds, dogs, whatever you see, seals. That seems like a much more pleasant kind of research than, like, I don't know, doing a lot of intense Googling. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, when I'm writing, I have, like, 30 tabs open on Google at all times, you know? I'll start going down wormholes constantly, just typing in something, and then instead of going back to writing, I'll end up researching this for hours, you know? (laughs) Did you have to do a lot of research for, like, the Viking aspect? No. No? Well, I've... Okay. I say no, but I've read a lot of history and mythology already, so... (laughs) that's kind of cheating maybe and plus the stories from my grandfather and my uncles like i theorized for some things like how how they were living Mm -hmm. i just well i guess yeah i did would have done a lot of research i don't know why i said no (laughs) (laughs) it was a very quick no as well (laughs) yeah i I, but i i didn't do much because i've already read so much before you know about vikings but then it's a lot of uh well you'll see when you read it it's uh it's not so much going into this Viking stuff because the main character that comes from there, he's not interested in being a Viking in, in anyways. So oh. he he's, it's kind of fish out of water story, but 
uh, more more like a fish that was out of water into water story because he fits in better in this time period than he did in his own time period he came from do you feel like you fit in better in ireland than in california (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) oh that's interesting wait say more about that (laughs) because i feel like so many americans that end up in ireland they're like oh this is my home that i have always been going towards Definitely not. Um, you know, this is my home for now. Mm. But uh, I'm too Californian for Ireland. Like, Ireland's very conservative. Like, I really feel like it's 50 years behind California. Hmm. I come from the little red conservative pocket of California. <laughs> so. Okay. When I went to Ireland, like, I, and I was very much in the art scene. So I did exist in a very liberal bubble. Yeah. So I think my perception of Ireland is much more liberal. And then I moved to Texas, like small town, North Texas. So in my life experience, I think Ireland is super, super liberal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. But for me, no, I came from like, I was raised with no religion. You know, I don't understand how religion coexists with the Internet. Like that blows my mind. It's a whole lot of blinders. I grew up, I was raised Mormon. (laughs) Wow. That Mormon church is interesting. Like, I love how they just took like this Jesus idea and they're like, we're going to make it American. (laughs) And my grandmother was an atheist, like a third generation atheist. Then I moved to Ireland and they play the Angelus bells over the radio every day still. They're like the Catholic Church is still so ingrained in the society and it just blows my mind. As somebody, me personally, I'm an artist uh, and I moved here because I was an artist and Ireland used to be better for artists, I feel. And it's now it's like the rent's gone crazy, you know? It's the yeah. same as everywhere else now. I think I saw an article, Dub- Dublin just got voted, I think, the seventh most expensive place to live in the world. In the world? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I, I feel like <laughs> I got very depressing really quick. Oh, that is the reality, though, like but, uh, the dangers of globalization. Like. Yes, I think so. The problem with the corporations taking over, they're ruining it. Mm-hmm. By the way, my book's available on Amazon.com, <laughs> Norse to the future. <laughs> oh, it is so convenient, though. Yeah. I mean, that's why I went with them to publish it, because it's like, you just can't compete. I self-published it, so they print to order. Like, it's just so much easier. And, like, I w- I'm in a bunch of forums on Facebook for Irish writers. Mm. And I was like, where do you guys get your books printed in Ireland? And they're like, Amazon. <laughs> Every one of them saying Amazon. <laughs> yeah, this damn globalization. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yay for convenience. But at what cost? I came away from this recording with a good few book recommendations. That part of the conversation did get edited out. But feel free to give me a shout if you're curious. Um, But anyway, I'm happy out. I really had a fun time with that one. And I can't wait to get my copy of the book. You can get Norse to the Future at Moikolan Bookshop, Charlie Burns Bookshop, Bell Book and Candle, Bookstop in Ennis, Man of Iron Cafe in Inishmore, and Kirt Shopa. Ooh, I did not practice saying that one out loud before I said it just then. 
um, on Inishir and on uh, Amazon. I've got all that linked in the episode description, and you can also follow Bip on Instagram at Norse to the Future for book updates. Thank you all for coming along for another chat. You can sign up anytime before the end of the month if you want to get on on the Mindful Narcissist scene. I'm continuing to explore writing and film photography right now. This one actually features my collection of old photos, which I have done an episode on. But yeah, I'm really happy with how the zines are turning out. Still really excited about making them and sharing them with you guys. The zine club is four euro fifty or five US dollars per month, and the link is patreon.com forward slash the mindful narcissist. You can follow me at CaitlinW for daily mindful narcissist content and reminders and announcements about the podcast. As always, like, share, view, all that good stuff. And my DMs are always open. I will see you soon for another chat. Mwah.